Matthew chapter 6 teaches us that Jesus does a teaching on, on finance, and he speaks a lot about money and giving and provision. And there's, there's a part over there that plays into Exodus chapter 20 very strongly, where he basically talks about this concept of uh, you can't serve both God and money or God and mammon. And so we have that sense where he's actually saying there is something that can be above God. It's not an idol, but it is something close to our hearts. We'll get to that scripture in a, in, in, in a little while. But the, the whole idea of speaking about money is understanding that actually it's a spiritual thing that we have to deal with. It's not about the money. It's about something a lot deeper. It's about our relationship with God and how things in this world can come in and pull away and drag our affection onto something else. So here's the interesting. When you go to a doctor, have you, who's been to a doctor before where he starts like prod? And he goes, does that hurt? Anybody been one of those? And then he goes, does that hurt? And, like, and you're like, no, no. And then suddenly he goes, does that hurt? And you're like, tears are coming down your eyes. You're like, does it hurt? Yes, it hurts. You're kind of like, do you really want me to answer that? And then they say something like, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is the pain like? Why do they say that? If it, if it wasn't a 10, I wouldn't be sitting here, okay? It is a 10. You hit the button, it hurts, okay? In a way, Scripture is like that with us. And, and you, you've, you've picked this up as well. And, and if you understand how the Holy Spirit works and how Scripture works in our lives, there are times when, when the Holy Spirit touches something in your life and you just go, oh, that really hurts. Now, sometimes when it touches, it could be something like, like I mean, this is, this is always the funniest part. When you talk about things in church and people just suddenly get like focused. And there's like a bit of a drop of sweat, but nobody wants to move. Because if you move, it's like you're giving yourself away, you know? Have you ever in your marriage, and people are like, don't look around right now, because if you look around, they're going to think it's you, you know? Those are sometimes moments when you're saying, maybe God is trying to touch something in our lives and say something. The same thing, I mean, we can talk about money today and say sometimes when we talk about it, it feels painful. We feel like we're not sure what's going on. We feel uncomfortable about it. Maybe we need to open our hearts up to say, God, is there something here that I need to be thinking about? Is there something here that I need to be considering? Maybe the Holy Spirit, the great physician, is, is touching something in our lives. And it doesn't just happen in things like finance. It happens in forgiveness. It happens in our faith. It happens in our, our salvation journey. These are all things that sometimes we get uncomfortable. We don't find them pleasant, but we need to listen and allow God to work in our lives so that we can become more like Christ and continue our journey towards perfection. Our scripture this morning that we're going to draw for is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 to 12. It reads as follows, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. And this is the word of the Lord for the people of God. You'll be enriched in every way for your great generosity. 
The first thing, and this week I'm going to talk about this whole idea that even as we give, there are benefits for us individually as God will work in our lives and use these things to draw us more into a relationship with Him. But one of the great ways that we are enriched through generosity is as we give and as we become a part of what God is doing. That scripture is quite interesting to us if you think about it. If you look at that, it says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. What Paul is doing is he is reframing the relationship that the Corinthians have with finance. And if we are open to it, he will allow us to reframe that same relationship. How do we see finance? How do we see money? What is it? He uses the example of somebody who sows. He, meaning Jesus, God, gives seed to a sower so that he can sow and he gives food to eat. Now that's an interesting dynamic to look at. Think for a second that he doesn't say, he who gives seed to the baker that he might bake bread and lots of bread and he can fill his house with bread. Or he who maybe is, gives to the builder who can then build a big fancy house. There are two things that he's working on there. The seed is given to a sower, somebody who then in turn will cast that seed out so that it can grow, not to a consumer. You understand the difference there? So he's framing. He said, he, God, is the one who provides, and he gives to each of us something that we in turn might give out. But there's another part of that. He gives bread for food as well. God doesn't only say to us, whatever I give you, you must give away. He says, I'm also giving you so that I can look after you. I will give you bread. I will give you food. And actually, quite honestly, that if you go to scriptures like 1, 1 Timothy chapter 6, I believe it is, you'll see that Paul, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, uh, if you don't look after your own family, you're as bad as a pagan. In other words, you actually need to look after your family. And God gives you, so you can look after your family. You should be looking after your family. And there's a whole discussion on that we can have as well. But it's not an either or, it's a both and. We are supposed to be conduits of God's blessing. And that is the principle that we need to take a hold of. Now I've done a lot of work in Zambia, in the western part of Zambia. Uh, been in the mission field, there's nothing out there. There's just a lot of trees, a lot of sand, a lot of grass, some snakes. Well, I can't say a lot of snakes, because then if I ever say, who wants to come to Zambia, nobody's going to come, so maybe they're snakes. But there's a lot of things out there, but there's not a lot of stuff out there. Really, there's not a lot. There's no, there's no, there's no running water. Um, they get their water out of the Zambezi River. There's no electricity. None of that is there. Now, the way people work there is they're subsistence farmers. And it's very common as you go through these little roads, dirt roads, and you come to a little village, there in the little village there's this little stand, and on the stand there's like a big basket, and then there's a big covering over the basket, and you think, what is this? Is this some kind of an idol? Is this? No, it's not. It's a bag, it's a basket full of seed. The seed is off the ground to make sure it doesn't get moisture from underneath, they want to keep it dry, it is protected from the elements on the top, and this is how it works. Every year they go out, they take the seed, they plant the seed, the seed goes in the ground, and then they protect that harvest. But they protect it. They look after it. They will sleep in the fields when it comes to harvest time. They will sleep in the fields to protect it against wild animals. 
the biggest thing that they struggle with is elephants. I don't know how you protect your crops against elephants. But anyway, that's what they do. They make a big noise. They try to chase them off. Because if their crops are destroyed, they have no food. They have no seed. When they take their harvest in, everybody's involved. Everything shuts down. The harvest comes in. And then they take their harvest and they allocate a portion of that harvest to be put into that basket, to be put into that place, so that it can be available next time the time comes for sowing again. And so there's this picture of this kind of agrarian culture, the subsistence farmers. We take the seed. We need the seed. Probably the most important seed we have is that which we sow, because if we cannot sow next year, we will not eat next year. And so there's that picture that you have of the sower gets seed. Yes, they need to eat. Yes, we need to live. But we also need to realize that we are generous. We need to be giving as well. And Paul's using this analogy in the context of finance. Have you ever heard this thing? It's all about giving and receiving. Well, actually, that's not the right way to put it. It's all about receiving and giving. Okay? So, yes, we give and we receive, but it starts with this concept of receiving. So, if we understand this concept that we are actually blessed, God has blessed us. If you look at that scripture, you'll see it says, He who supplies, God gives, God supplies the seed. We pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. We ask God to give. We ask God for substance. He gives to us. And there's this great scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 8 where we actually understand that everything we have, and I'm going to circle back to this, everything we have comes from God. He is the one who gives us the power to get wealth. Everything comes from God. We first receive from God. We are first recipients of what God has given us. And, and here's the really scary thing. Do you know that this concept of receiving first is built into our Methodist theology? Who knew that? You should know that. Right now, some of you, I'm seeing one or two nodded heads, like, rarely show me how um, I like to. Here's the thing. If we understand the concept of salvation, we understand that we are completely deprived. In other words, we do not have any way to reach out to God. It is only by prevenient grace, a grace that God gives us, we first receive a grace that we are able to respond to God. So if you think about Methodist theology, you think about the way Methodists talk and the way we, what we believe, we believe this simple thing. God acts first. We are first recipients of something before we are respondents to that thing. First we are received. Before we knew, before, while we were in our sin, God gave us. Before you were even born, years ago, not ten years, hundreds of years ago, a man named Jesus Christ came, he died on a cross because he knew that you would be born and needed salvation. He acted before you were even born. So this concept of receiving is God gives first, and we understand that receiving is the first thing we have. We start with this concept of receiving, and then we move on to giving. So our giving is not based upon, hey, I've got this, let me give. Our giving is based upon a grace that we have received and a grace that we then will share with others. And so when, even when I speak about generosity, yes, I'm speaking about finance, but here's the thing. Generosity is a spirit. We love because He first loved us. We received His love 
therefore we give love. We were given grace, therefore we give grace. Everything we have, yes, we can talk about money, but how many other things from our hospitality, the way we serve in our community, the way we pray for people, how many of you sitting here today were recipients of the prayers of the saints before you ever even stepped in a church? Because we received those prayers, we also can pray for others. We first receive and then we give. And this is, this is consistent. And maybe I'll bring the scripture up a bit later. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, where, where, where God says, you know, he says to Abraham, this is the concept of, of God's people. This is the concept of the Abrahamic covenant. The whole covenant is based upon, Abraham, I'm calling you from this place. I'm going to put you in your land, and then I'm going to bless you. I'm going to shower my blessings upon you. Why? So that you can be a blessing to the nations. First, I want you to receive, and then I want you to give from that as well. We've got to be careful that we don't be people who receive from God, and instead of allowing ourselves to be the conduits of God's love and God's grace, we actually become people where we block the flow that should be going through us he supplies seed to the sower out of his great love he gives to meet our every need however he also gives that we might live generously and give to others as well acts chapter 20 verse 35 paul says um, i think this is paul we quoting in this passage he says um, jesus himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive amen? amen so why is it so difficult to give come let's be real it is more blessed to give than to receive but so often it can be so so difficult for us to live into that reality and i'll tell you why it can be difficult for us to give it can be difficult for us to give because simply giving and this is where we benefit, if you understand this, is a question of lordship. Giving is all about, very simply, putting God first in our finances. Giving is a battle for the heart. Have a look at these scriptures quickly in Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, I've alluded to them. We'll jump through one or two of them quickly. Do not store up for yourself, Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust consume, where the thief breaks in and steals, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven, okay, where neither moth nor rust consumes, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, what is it? There your heart is also. If your treasure is in your bank account, then your heart will be in your bank account. Okay? If your treasure is in your shiny new car, have you ever seen somebody's heart break? It is a new car. It is beautiful. It, I, mean, you can, I mean, you can do your makeup and just look at it. It just reflects back at you. I mean, it's got, I don't know how many horsepower it's got. And then... The person who loves that car walks out and there is a big scratch along the side. Let me tell you what it is like the world has ended. Your heart is broken. 
where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where do we put our treasure? How does this work? Who has to be first? What needs to consume our heart? God needs to consume our heart. We'll jump across to verse 24. Please go home and read the other scriptures between that before and after. Some great scriptures in there as well. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one, love the other, be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth, some people say, and mammon. And Jesus is saying right here in these teachings, very simply, you're going to come to the place where there's going to be a conflict. Finance, money is something that can take a hold of your heart. So let's see, have we, got, have we got this picture we can put up here? I think we do have it. <coughs> Sorry about that. Isn't that how often how we see the world? Lord, I give you my life. I give you my all. I surrender all. And the concept there, and I know it's a full baptism, but you know, lots of water, nothing wrong with lots of water. The concept there is, I will give you everything except that one thing. But isn't that, isn't that this weird dynamic where we live in this world, where probably one of the biggest, the biggest things we wrestle with, one of the biggest things we struggle with, to surrender to God, to give God our everything, is actually finance. We live in a very bottom line driven society and world. Everything is about the bottom line. And if we're not careful, the world teaches us what to value when actually the Bible needs to teach us what we should in fact value. And so I want to say when it comes to giving, very, very simply put, very simply, giving is a question of lordship. It's a question of lordship. Now, let, let me say a couple of things about this as well. When it comes to giving, well... We believe in tithing. Our family, we tithe. I say that because I think you need to know that I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not doing myself. I don't think it's right, okay? It's important to know these things. We believe in tithing. Every time I tithe, I'm making a decision. Our family is making a decision. And we're saying this. We're saying, God first before anything else. God is first in my life, in my marriage. God is first in my life, in every aspect of my life, including my finances. Now, the way the world works, strangely enough, is every two weeks or whenever it is that I get a salary. For those of you who don't know, and let me just say this, we can have a bit of an in, like a family discussion here. Listen, if somebody writes out a million dollar check to this church today, number one, thank you, Jesus, okay? <laughs> Amen? Number two, I don't work on commission, just so that you know, okay? <laughs> this is, I'm not in sales. I don't go, oh, well, fantastic. What? It doesn't work like that. I get a salary. That's how it works, okay? In fact, to be quite honest with you, if the giving goes down, that's where I kind of kick in and I have to take responsibility, right? When the giving goes up, the church benefits. You see how this works? So that's why it's okay. 
But every time I take my salary and I sit down with my wife and, and we sit down together, we do this together, we're giving. We're not just giving or giving into the church or bringing back into the storehouse. We are making a declaration that Jesus remains Lord in our lives. And regardless of the needs, regardless of the culture, regardless of the things all around us, God will remain number one in our lives. And you know why I think it needs to happen like every like twice a month or every two weeks or whatever it is? Because every two weeks we forget. Every week we forget. Every month we forget. Because every time something comes up in our lives, we go, oh, Lord, I need money for this. Oh, the car did this. Oh, you know that beautiful car, the nice scratch. We've got to fix the car. But do we really? But God, you're more important than this. You're more important than that. You're more important than this. For us as a family, we don't see this as, as, as giving to a church. We see this as a declaration of the Lordship of Christ in our lives. Now, now look at this, this scripture you've seen before. Malachi chapter 3. This is, this is an interesting passage of scripture. People abuse this scripture. But here's the principle. Will anyone rob God, yet you are robbing me? You say, how are you robbing God? I don't know how you rob God. You kind of go up into heaven like Jack and the Beanstalk or something, and you, you get in there and you find like God's storehouse, and you're like, I don't know, like take some gold. And... How does this work? But the prophet tells us, it's very simple. You're robbing me with your tithes and your offerings. Okay? So, so that you know, the average tithe that the church in America gives, person in America, is 2.5%. We work on tithing. And I know we talk about Old Testament, New Testament. We need to have those discussions sometime. We'd love to have that. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus affirms the tithe, okay? So here's the point. How is it that when we do not tithe, we're robbing God? How, how does that work? What's that about? Okay? Let's back step one, one step. Lordship. If everything I own belongs to God, and I choose not to give it to God, am I robbing God? Okay, let me give you another example of this. <laughs> Let's say I, I, my family and I, we decide we're going to go on holiday and we fly into Florida for the weekend and we go to Avis, car rental, right? We're all on the same page. And I go and say, I'd like to rent a car from you. And then I rent the car and then when I get back at the end of the weekend, I say, look man, I'm feeling really generous today. I'm going to give you this car. What are they going to say to me? <laughs> Crazy man, these Texans, they're just mad in their heads. What's going on? Why? Why are they going to do that? It's not my car. I've got nothing. I can't give it away. I can do nothing with it. It's the same thing. Same thing is true. If I let you use my car for the weekend and you come back off the weekend, you say, hey man, Ralph, I'm feeling really generous today, man. I want to give you a car. I'm like, Okay, it was my car in the first place. I let you use it. What's happening here with the tithe? Everything we have belongs to God. God doesn't get 90% of what we own. He has 100% of what we own. He lets us keep 90%. And so when we don't return to the storehouse, we're actually essentially robbing God. That's the principle. Because everything I have, this is God's shirt. I really hope he liked the one I bought for him. <laughs> Everything we have, the breath in my lungs was given to me by God. The life I have, the family, the
the blood that flows through my veins, everything, everything I have belongs. I belong to God. Lordship means He has and owns everything. We all, everything about us belongs to God. And every time we exercise obedience in our giving, in our tithing, we do something very powerful. The first thing we do is we dethrone mammon from that place of prominence in our lives. We dethrone the powers and principalities that seek to form us and fashion us into its mold. And the second thing we do is we declare once again that Jesus is Lord in our lives. I believe this passionately. I believe this with all my heart. And so when Paul says that as you give generously, you will be enriched, enriched in every way, I believe that even in our giving, it is part of our journey towards sanctification. We become more and more and more like Christ. Amen? Well, I hope that's helpful. I'm going to leave it at that point. Next week, I'm going to come back and talk a bit about generosity. Not only how generosity helps us, but how generosity helps the world around us as well. Let's prepare our heart for the Lord's table.